We're in a series called This is Love, and we're talking about Jesus journeying through the cross. We're going to be in Luke chapter 22 today, so if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. One of my favorite writers, particularly on the topic of the cross and the crucifixion, is Fleming Rutledge. And here's what she says uh, about this day and about this week, about entering into Holy Week and Palm Sunday. She says, of all the weeks in the Christian year, this is certainly the most disconcerting. Even the most seasoned churchgoers tend to forget each year exactly what we're in for when we come to church on this occasion. Because we start off in a gala mood, Palm Sunday has always been a crowd pleaser. The, the festivity of the triumphal procession, the stirring music, the palm branches, the repeated hosannas suggest the general air of celebration. It comes to a shock as to us, though, as year after year we find ourselves abruptly plunged into the solemn and overwhelmingly long, dramatic reading of the Passion narrative. It's a tough Sunday. It begins in triumph and ends in catastrophe. We come in prepared in part, and we leave as if we were going to a funeral. We come in joyful, and we go out stricken. And all in all, it may be one of the most perplexing days of the year. And for those who are unprepared, it can be downright threatening. Uh, I think it would be easy for us as we enter into Holy Week. I, I've even felt the temptation in my own life this week to tone down the negatives in the story. Because uh, we're all kind of suffering a little bit on our own. Not suffering in the way that Christ suffered, but we're all suffering in some ways right now. And, and I'm tempted in some ways to domesticate Holy Week this year. To kind of turn it into like a Disney fairy tale story. I'm tempted today to not look at all the fears and anxieties and not dive into the depths of the story. But as I pray about Holy Week and as I look at the cross and as I look at the resurrection, there's no way for us to avoid that Jesus of Nazareth was abandoned, was condemned, was put to death in an incredibly painful way as a common criminal on the Friday between Palm Sunday, and Easter. And so today, I want to invite us to look deeply at, at Jesus. I want us to, I want to invite you and your family this week to walk through the passion story, not as a Disney story or as a story that looks pretty where everything ends beautifully in the end, but I want us to look at the suffering servant Jesus who came to die. I want us to look at Christ who sacrificed everything so that we might live. So last week we talked about Jesus' gritty determination to move towards the mission of God, that he set his face towards the cross and his demeanor and his posture was always towards moving towards the cross. And today I want to look at the Garden of Gethsemane. And as we look at the Garden of Gethsemane, I want us to pay attention to Jesus' radical trust in the midst of terrible circumstances. Jesus models for us that even in the middle of tough circumstances, even when the future is unclear, even when the future is painful, even when the future is difficult, that we can have a radical trust that God is good even when our circumstances aren't. Nowhere in all of Scripture do we see Jesus' humanity modeled more than in the Garden of Gethsemane. He seems so like us in this moment. He seems so like me in these moments where he's afraid. 
where he's anxious, where he's worried, where he's not wanting to experience the stuff that's ahead of him. And I find myself in the same place uh, over the past few weeks where, where, I, where I wake up just feeling anxious. I, I, I go to the grocery store and I feel anxious. I, I get around people and I, I, I worry, am I too close or did they breathe on me or did I touch somebody or did I touch my face or, or, or all of these things. I, I worry for my parents. I, I, I worry for some of the older people that I know and I love. I worry in the midst of all of these things. I have a pastor friend in New York City who's in the city right now. And and as I spoke to him this week, he said about 10% of his population of his church has COVID right now. Uh, He said he has 13 people that are in critical condition in the hospital right now. And I hear those numbers and I, I, I see how the curve is still growing and more people are getting sick. And as people in our community get sick for the first time and we start to hear positive test results at Grace Marietta from people that we know and that we love, there's this anxiety and this anxiousness that grows in me. There's this uncertainty of what the future holds. And Gethsemane teaches us what godly people do when they're pressed. Uh, actually, Gethsemane actually means oil press. Uh, it's, it's actually an olive oil press. It's, and it's the place where the anointed one of God comes and faces this immense pressure. Uh, it's this place that teaches us how do we respond when the world is pressing in against us? How do we respond when fear and anxiety of what's next stands in front of us? How do we respond when God is taking us to a place that we may not want to go, where we're called to enter into a space that we're not fully comfortable entering into? And on a tiny little olive oil vineyard on the Mount of Olives, Jesus models for us what every follower of God needs to know and to understand. It is How do we walk into a world of fear and anxiety? How do we live in these spaces? And the answer is radical trust. He teaches us how do we live when our prayers aren't answered the way that we want them to be? How do we live when we're praying for one thing and God doesn't give us the answer that we wanted to? Uh, I've told the story before of one of my mentors growing up. My Sunday school teacher all through junior high and high school was a guy named Terry Pullman. Uh, Terry wore a leisure suit every Sunday. Uh, He was the worst dressed man in all of Christianity. Uh, The left side of his body was paralyzed, and he was just a terrible, terrible teacher. Uh, His teachings were so boring, Um, but he was a man who loved all of us so deeply. He was a man who knew how to make disciples. He knew how to care for us and encourage us, and he had a passion to disciple the next generation and to raise them up. Um, From Terry's little Sunday school class that he taught in a tiny church in Dayton, Ohio, there were Uh, I think over 50 people that went into full-time Christian ministry. And he's one of the reasons why I'm a pastor to this day. And I remember praying with Terry. I don't know as a kid that I have ever prayed for a miracle more than I prayed that Terry's body would stop being paralyzed. I remember praying that Terry would get up out of the wheelchair and walk, that he would run. I, I remember praying with such uh, uh, passion and intensity. I remember placing hands on him. I remember praying uh, silently when I was alone and praying with others when we were together and just praying over and over and over again that my friend Terry would be healed. And God never chose to heal Terry. And I remember in a moment of honesty, speaking with Terry and just saying, like, does it ever get to you? 
Do you ever become angry with God? Do you ever become disappointed? And he said, yeah, of course. Of course I experience all of those things. I would love to get up from this chair and, and run. And, and I would love to have a normal life. I would love to not have to use a, a cane every time I try and get up and go anywhere. I would love to not have to have help when I go to the bathroom. I, I would love all of these things. But here's what I can tell you is that even if I never walk and never run, I can tell you that God is good. And as a teenager, as a high schooler, I can't remember learning a deeper lesson than this, that even in the midst of unanswered prayers, God is good. That even in the midst of anxiety and fear and moments where we want God to act and he's not acting, we want God to move and he's not moving the way that we want him to move, even in those moments, we can still trust him. And I believe this without a shadow of a doubt. If the Christian faith has nothing to say to Terry, then I don't think it has anything to say to anyone. There is a surprising grace in unanswered prayers. There's this surprising sovereignty of God when we pray for healing and it doesn't come, when we ask him to move and he doesn't show up. It's in the wife who prayed that her husband would stay in the marriage and he still left. It's in the teenager who prayed that dad would be healed and he still died. It's in the businessman who prayed that he wouldn't lose his job and the time came and he got the phone call and the job went away. It's in the little girl at my house this week who's been praying every single night that she would get to go back to school. It's a prayer that she's never prayed before. Please, God, let me go back to school. It's in all of us right now as we wait. It's in all of our prayers as we pray, Lord, protect our loved ones. Lord, heal our nation. Lord, keep this virus under control. Lord, could you stop this tomorrow? It's in all of us as we pray. It's in all of us as we wait. It's in all of us as we are pressed by this season. Luke chapter 22, verse 39. It says, he came out and he went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And then he withdrew from them about a stone's throw away, and he knelt and he prayed. Jesus retreating to pray would not have been an uncommon thing for the disciples to see and be modeled. It happened every day. It happened over and over again. Jesus spent time with the Father, got alone with the Father, got quiet with the Father. Jesus asked them to pray with him all the time. But I think the intensity in which he was praying was increased in this moment. And I don't know what it would have looked like to be there in that moment. But I feel like when I am in the midst of crisis, the intensity of my prayers rise. When COVID-19 stopped being something that was happening to somebody else and started to become something that was happening to people that I love, the intensity of my prayers increased. Whenever we're pressed, our prayers take on a new intensity. And I want you to pay close attention to verse 42. This is what Jesus says. This is Jesus' prayer. This is how Jesus models prayer and pressure, prayer and anxiety. This is how Jesus models when we want something to happen and God isn't acting the way we want him to act. He says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. If you're willing, God, I don't want to go to the cross. 
I don't want to face the week that's ahead of me. I don't want to be arrested. I don't want to be tried. I don't want to be beaten. I don't want to be nailed to a cross. I don't want to die in this way. If there is another way, could you reveal it? Could you take us to another place? It feels like the prayers that we have been praying. Lord, if there's another way for us to get out of this virus, if there's another way for the pain to stop, if there's another way, if you could just stop all of this in one moment, would you act? Could you act? Could you move right now? But then the second half of the prayer is the prayer that models how we pray when, we, when we're pressed, how we pray with radical trust. He says, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. The, the posture of Jesus is always radically trusting that the Father's plans are greater than ours. That the Father's will is greater than ours. That, that the Father's plans for our life, that we can trust them even when our circumstances don't look wonderful. And I want you to notice a few things here. I want you to notice that Jesus doesn't hide his emotions. Jesus doesn't hide what he really wants from God. He doesn't hide that he doesn't want to experience this. He doesn't hide his anxiety. He doesn't hide his fear. He doesn't hide any of those things. We can bring our requests to the Father. We can lay them at his feet. We can be honest with him about our feelings and our emotions and our fears and anxieties. Jesus models that what we do when we're pressed is we surrender. What we do when we're anxious is we surrender our anxiety to the Father. What we do when we're afraid is we surrender our fears. We've asked the church to memorize Philippians 4, verses 6 through 7, which says, Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. i got to work on memorizing that a little better. But the model Jesus gives us is this. It's that we bring what we have to the Father and we surrender it. Whatever we have, good or bad, we bring it to the Father and we surrender it and we lay it at His feet. When we have five loaves and two fishes, we say, Lord, this is all I've got. Can you turn this into 5,000? When we, all we have is, is water, we say, Lord, could you turn this into wine? And sometimes the truth is we have nothing to offer. I think this is where Jesus is in this space. He has nothing to offer. He's at the end of his rope. His, his anxiety and his fear has reached its pinnacle. Later on, it actually says that he sweat blood because he was so anxious in this moment. Sometimes we don't have anything to bring to the Father. Sometimes we don't have anything to offer. And the toughest prayers I think that I've ever prayed are, Lord, I don't have faith for this right now. I don't, I don't trust you the way I should right now. I don't see what your plan is in this. I don't understand why I'm hurting or this person that I love is hurting or why this circumstance is taking place. But in the midst of all of it, I trust that you're good. God meets us in what's real. So not only do we, do we bring our requests to him, do we make them known, but we surrender them. The key phrase here is, if you are willing. There's this ultimate trust that says, Lord, this is my will, and this is your will, and I know they're contrary right now. I know they don't line up right now, but if you're willing, would you do this? 
We petition the heart of God. We petition a good father to move on our behalf. But sometimes, even in the midst of being good, there is some good that is happening that is greater than us. There's some good that is happening that is greater than the suffering that we're experiencing. There's some wonderful thing that's going on behind the scenes that we don't even know what's happening. And we're seeing that in our culture right now. I'm talking to people who are talking about the worst of what's happening in this moment. Because when we're pressed, the worst of us comes out. And we see the worst of humanity right now. We see companies that aren't taking care of their people. We see companies that are, that are looking out for themselves. We see people that are trying to profit off of a pandemic. We, we see all of the worst of humanity in these moments. But we're also seeing the best of humanity. There, there, there are shoe companies who've decided to begin producing masks and making masks. There, there are patents of ventilators and masks that are being released that will cost the, the innovators and the companies that have done this thing thousands or millions of dollars, but they're releasing it freely to the public. There are buses of nurses and doctors that are driving to the epicenter of this in New York City and risking their life so that they can step into this pandemic and step into this place. When we are pressed, the worst of us is revealed, but the best of us is also revealed. And the question, if you are willing, is the question that all of us are asking the Father. John 16, says, I have told you the, the, these things so that in me you might have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. Here's what Jesus models for us. Jesus models that peace was in the victory to come, not in the circumstances of now. Nevertheless, he says, this is what I want, this is what you want. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will. Nevertheless is not a phrase that I use often. Uh, it means notwithstanding, or no matter what happens, or regardless of what happens. Followers of Jesus, regardless of their circumstances, trust God's plan. Regardless of what's in front of them, regardless of the week that's ahead of them, regardless of the pain that's in front of them, the wounds that they're experiencing right now, they trust God's plan. And listen to what happens when Jesus trusted God's plan. Verse 43, it says, And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. I don't know what this looked like. I don't know if it's like Elijah in the cave and an angel shows up and gives him substance. I don't know if it's like an angel delivers some pizza or a sandwich there and Jesus has something to eat and feels better. Or I don't know if it's just a moment of silence or a moment of clarity or a moment of peace that came over Jesus even in the midst of his circumstance. But when we are pressed, God gives us strength. When we trust his plan, he may not change our circumstances, but he will give us strength. The Old Testament is filled with passages of God saying, don't be afraid. I will give you strength. I will fight the battle for you. Just trust me. You keep moving forward and I will do the work. I, I think about those buses that are driving to New York full of doctors right now. I think about uh, all of these things. I'm afraid to enter into the grocery store. And I think about what gives those doctors and nurses the courage to step into that. I think about our healthcare workers who every day are entering into the front lines of this and keep walking through the doors of the hospital to love. And the only thing I can come up with as to why they keep entering those doors, why they get on those buses, why we step into these spaces is love. That's it. What gives us the courage? It's love. 
1 John 4, 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for all love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Whenever we see love, whenever we see the best of humanity, what we're seeing is we're seeing God's image revealed in his creation. We're seeing God's people act as if God were working on his behalf. We are becoming the ambassadors, the letters. We are becoming the picture of what it looks like to be God. And what God does is he keeps entering the doors of the hospital. What God does is he keeps walking through the the pain that's ahead of him. He gets on the bus. And what Jesus does is he stands up from Good Friday and he walks into Holy Week. It's the model of what love looks like. And whenever we see sacrificial love, we see the face of God. Verse 44 says, being in agony, he prayed even more earnestly and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling from the ground. This is the view of the cross that we have to keep in mind. It's the love of the son for the father. It's the love of the Son for creation. Let's not domesticate it. Let's not lessen the fear or the pain. There was blood that was sweating from his body. There was agony. There was earnesty. There was this pain in the middle of the sacrifice. Fleming Rutledge said this, My dear brothers and sisters in Christ, with all my heart, with all my mind, with all my strength, I desire to convey this, convey this to you this week. While the world goes about its business, while the meaning of existence is revealed to those who have eyes to see, the true significance of the headlines of this week come to light as Jesus of Nazareth goes his solitary way. Today in the reading of God's word, Thursday night at Jesus East, as Jesus eats his last supper and goes forth to be betrayed, Friday at noon as he hangs exposed and naked on the cross and pours out his life, God is acting. In the events of this week, the cries of those who suffer have been heard by the one who could, the only one who can, the only one who will deliver on his promise that there will be another happy morning, but it only comes. It only comes by means of his death. So let's be people that follow him this week to the foot of the cross. Let's come together in mind and heart and behold our Lord as he gives himself up for the sake of the whole world. Let's come in heart and in soul and in mind and in faith and in trust to confess that truly this man is the Son of God. And maybe today all of us are like Jesus in the garden We don't want another week of isolation. We don't want another name added to the list of people that we know and love who have become sick. And God forbid, we don't want any of our loved ones to die. We don't want to take the next step into mission because we're afraid. We're afraid of what is in front of us. We're afraid of what's going on in our world and we're anxious and we're sweating and we're full of fear. And I think Jesus gives us the model of what it looks like to pray in the midst of fear. I think Jesus gives us the model of how we pray. We don't hide our anxieties to God. We name them. We don't pretend as if we're not afraid. We name our fears. We trust in his will and not our own. We depend on him for strength. And then we step into whatever he's asked us to step into. So today, as a family, I want to invite you to take some time as a family and pray together. I want to invite you to ask everybody in your family, what's the thing that you're most afraid of right now? 
What's the anxiety or fear that you're holding on to? And I want to invite you to take communion at home. Communion doesn't have to be uh, the bread and the juice exactly like it is on Sunday mornings here uh, at Grace. Uh, it can be a cracker and some juice. It can be a cheese it uh, It can be a Capri Sun. It doesn't matter what it is. Find something in your home, a little piece of bread, and take communion together. And when you take communion, I want you to remember the body of Christ that was broken for you. I want you to see it. I want you to picture Jesus on the cross. When you take the juice, I want you to recognize that there was real blood that was shed for you. And I want you to know that Jesus willingly walked into the pain because of his radical trust in the Father. And the question for us this morning is, are we willing to walk into the pain of the world and to radically trust that the Father is real? With gritty determination, will we follow where he leads? With radical trust, will we trust the Father's plans? And with gracious hearts, will we come to the Father and say, Lord, not our will, but yours. After you've prayed together, after you've taken communion, we're going to gather in about five or ten minutes in the lobby, and we want to invite all of you to join us. It's an opportunity for us just to say hello to one another, and then we're going to break into some breakout groups and spend some time praying together this week. Uh, if there's anything that you need, we want you to reach out to us at compassion at gfc.tv. Uh, if you need supplies, if you need food, if you need somebody to make a grocery run, if you need somebody to pray, if you just need somebody to talk to because you're lonely, reach out to us because we would love to be present in the midst of this crisis and we'd love to care. We love you guys. We're praying for you in this season. We're praying for your family. We're trying to create healthy daily rhythms so that we can stay connected and so that when we fear, we can lean on each other. So I want to invite you to join us weekdays for daily prayers. I want to invite you this week to enter into the season of Holy Week. Uh, open up your Bibles every day with your kids. Read the passion story. Lead the st read the story of Jesus moving towards the cross. We love you guys. Grace and peace.